the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back as we head into Hour 3, as we do most Thursdays. It's a delight to uh, send you home with our dear friend, our good friend, Sam Stone. He's a political consultant in town. He has a very active uh, and uh, smart and fun uh, Twitter feed, at Sam the Paul, P-O-L. And he also hosts his own radio show, Heard, right here on Saturday afternoons at 3 p.m. How are you today, Sam? I am excellent, Seth. How are you? I'm fine. Now, often what we will do at uh, David, Young David's Urgings, often what we will do is we'll do a little bit of a food review because you and I like that sort of thing, and then we'll get into more serious things. And we have a lot of serious things to talk about, actually, today, from policing to even euthanasias uh, in the news per, per an interesting article you highlighted in the National Review to a whole bunch of other things. Do we want to talk about food for a minute to just uh, set the drive home appropriately? I I mean, I think no matter how crazy the world gets, people still get hungry. Okay. All right. All right. Yeah, we probably should. And you and I know more about food than most, I think. Um, I know too much about food. I know about 50 pounds too much about food. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Let's do it. Do you want to talk donuts or did you want to talk lobster? You have your choice. Well, okay, so lobster really quick. Let me just throw this out there because, you know, for folks who know, I was born in Boston. I spent a lot of time growing up on the East Coast. Um, I am a snob about lobster rolls. I am a huge lobster roll fanatic. I am a lobster roll snob. I have been to all the best spots on the East Coast. I have never, ever even considered getting a lobster roll here in Phoenix. Until a friend was like, no, you have to check out this place called Angie's Lobsters. And I checked it out online before I went over there. And I'm like, okay, this is going to be horrible, Seth. Yeah. I mean, horrible. Yeah. Because it's nine ninety nine yeah. for a lobster roll, fries, and a drink. Okay. Okay? Yeah. That's like half of what the price should be. Okay. Okay. <laughs> So At like, a okay, discount, here, that's half of what the price should be. Yeah, okay, no, all right. totally. I mean, okay. this is like, I'm like, oh, my goodness, this is going to be hideous. Yeah. This has to be some terrible frozen lobster. Yeah. Here's the thing. It's magnificent. No kidding. Where's the it's, location that you went to? So, so I went to the one that just opened up in Chandler, but there are like six of them now. It's a local chain that just started up. They're growing like crazy. I do not know how they – I literally don't know how they do this. They're basically only drive through. There's no, like, inside to the restaurant. Well, that would be one um, way, so they don't have the overhead. One, yep. Okay. All right. They don't have the overhead. Uh, it is all fresh lobster. It is a top three lobster roll I have ever had in my life. In Phoenix, Arizona, or Chandler? In Phoenix, or, yeah. Arizona, no for nine ninety nine with fries and a drink. And then – of course, everyone, like, you know, you're going to get a second lobster roll. Because who could only eat one lobster roll? It's like chips. Oh, they're, they're that chips. good, huh? You, you oh, get they're two. that good. So they have this um, spicy honey fried lobster roll that literally, Seth, is, is one of the greatest things I've ever eaten in my life. It's stupidly good, and I'm glad there's none of these within five miles of my house. It's like the nearest one is six and a half miles away. 
And I'm uh, otherwise that closer. 50 becomes 60 that you were talking about earlier. Yeah, that's okay. exactly what was going to happen. Okay. <laughs> Sam Stone. So it's called Angie's Lobster. I'm on the um, website right now. We love business uh, businesses that do great things. So, uh, folks, you can go to Angie'sLobster.com to find a location near you. Sam, uh, I have a question for you, and I think there's a right answer, uh, though I, I, I'm a little tentative because you being from Boston, I, I, I would defer to you on this. But I think there's a right answer. You can get a chilled lobster roll, and you can get a warmer, hot lobster roll. What is the one to get? There is, I think, a right answer. Well, to me, the right answer is the chilled lobster roll. Oh, interesting. I did not see that coming. No, that's that's kind of a thing, an Eastern thing, a main thing. I like the chilled lobster roll okay. um, with with a hot toasted buttered bun. Oh, yeah. Well, the bun makes it. It's that hot toasted yeah. buttered bun. Okay, so that makes it at so you least get the, warm. You get okay. the little bit of heat, and then right. you, you get the cold. It's really good. I, I did have the cold one there, and then obviously the fried one was hot. So, um I'm going to go back and try their hot one because I like them both. I'm okay. A, All right. I do love lobster rolls. Okay. So, okay. All right. Well, I did not see this issue of food coming up today. Uh, I thought we might talk donuts. I have a lot to say about donuts. And Okay. The fact that I'm from Boston does not excuse Dunkin' Donuts from being unedited. Uned- that is a Boston-based company, right? Yeah. Yeah. And they're, like, super popular, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, in Boston, like, you cannot go to a block without a Dunkin' on the corner Here's the thing. I don't get it because they're bad donuts. Yeah, bad donuts. They have dominated the market. We used to have a few national chains like Winchell's. I don't know if they exist. They're not here in Arizona anymore. I remember there used to be a prominent Winchell's around uh, Phoenix. Now it's just, for the most part, Duncan's and Bosa. I'm a Bosa fan myself. I I love Bosa. They're fantastic. Krispy Kreme is good if you get them like right. I don't. Out I of never the, got that. I never understood Krispy Kreme. Way too oh, no, sweet they, and way too different. They're only good if they're like totally. Have you had one right off the machine? No, I, I no, no. It's I, totally different. I, 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 no. I think they're gross when I'll, they're not hot. I, I'll tell you why machine. I like Bosa. I like Bosa because it was started by Cambodians fleeing the Khmer Rouge, which is a fantastic yeah, reason to yeah, go to Bosa. That's Donuts. a reason. And, and by the way, for folks who haven't been, I like to go in there every now and then. Uh, they actually make a really good sandwich that's also pretty cheap. I like the, just the turkey sandwich on, on a uh, croissant. Yeah, they and do. They, I've had that. That is good. Uh, do you know why donut boxes are made in pink, by the way, rather than white cardboard? No. I looked this up. It has to do with the fact that the pink cardboard boxes, when whoever founded Bosa Donuts came to America in the mid-'70s, found that it was cheaper to, from their paper supplier, their boxing supplier, to use pink because it was discarded cardstock, and it was a little less expensive. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? It was just, yeah, yeah. That's fantastic. And environmental in its own right, you know? Yes, it is. Yeah. That's look, that's the kind of environmentalism I support 100%. This is the kind of show you like to call into to get this kind of information 100%. That's right. Now, uh, you, you will do me the favor of telling me that you don't eat a maple donut, right? No, I'm not a maple Thank donut you. guy. I'm a really basic donut guy. I... I like cake donuts. I like the the, the cake crumb yeah, donut. Yeah, sure. I it's better. Uh, do you want my moral tale about donuts or not? Do you want oh, to, yes, Do you please. want me to run you through the tale to see if you pass the morality test with donuts? 
Uh, likely don't, but okay, go No, you likely away. do. You likely do. And folks, this is important. This is an important moral lesson about how we behave in civil society. And then we're going to get to much bigger issues. Although behavior in civil society is itself important. So I was walking out of a Bosa Donuts one day uh, with a box. Uh, I think I brought uh, two dozen donuts to bring to the office because I'm a nice guy that way. And once in a while, I'll just do that for the office. And um, I ran into a guy in the parking lot who was walking in the parking lot, but not to the donut store. And we know each other by first name and not much more than that. He may know what I do for a living. I don't know what he does. That kind of basis of knowledge. Okay. He sees me carrying a box of donuts and he looks at it. I have a moral obligation, don't I? A little bit. Yeah. My moral obligation, because we live in a polite society, is to say, hey, Ishka Bibble, would you like a donut? Because he's looking at it. He's looking at it longingly. So that was my obligation to offer him one. Now, Sam, shifting of the burden, there is now a moral obligation on his part. What is that obligation? I I don't know, like to go get some milk for you both? No, his obligation is to turn it down. His obligation is to say, no, thank you, but that's very kind, because really, you know, we don't know each other that well, and I obviously wasn't thinking of him, and he can go get his own darn donut if he wants one. I I don't know, Seth. Here's my issue with this. Were you carrying one box of donuts? One large box of donuts, yeah, one large box. How big was it? Was it like one of those? You know, I don't know. Two dozen donuts, 24 donuts. Okay, yeah, you got to give him one. I I, I offered, and to be polite, his obligation is to do All right, you both failed because— he said, oh, sure, I'd love one. Now He can absolutely take it because you have too many. For the office? He doesn't know where I'm bringing them. Your office doesn't need 24 He doesn't dollars. know that, and you don't know the ravenousness you, of the Bahamas who work here. Are you a cop? He then, case, all right, so he felt he had a second obligation once I opened the box to complete the offer. What was that obligation on his part? You take the basic donut. Yeah, not the worst, not the best one. And we all know right. what the worst one is. He took the best one. Oh, okay, well, that's not cool. Okay, so at least you're halfway there on the morality test. All right, you want to come back on policing and Canada and National Review and euthanasia and that kind of stuff? I mean, do I want to or will I? We have to. We have no okay. choice. Yes. That is Sam's obligation. He and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. Political consultant Sam Stone is my guest. He is the host of Breaking Battlegrounds radio show heard here every Saturday afternoon at 3 p.m. where they deal with uh, highly important issues and they have great guests and it's a great show. And uh, do you get into things like this, Sam? Donut? You probably don't because your co-host, Chuck, he's, he, he doesn't eat like you and I do. He, my guess is he eats like Mr. Bill does. He may have a very lean piece of meat once a year. I, I'm guessing the man is a health nut. Oh, he no, looks, not at all. Oh, no, really? No, okay. No, no. Chuck, Chuck works out like a demon. Okay. Okay. So he eats – the man eats more steak than anybody I know. <laughs> is that right? Okay. And it's not even close. All right. Like, I've gone out to dinner and lunch with him. Yeah. I I mean, we've been friends for a long time. We've probably been out to dinner and lunch 300 times. Okay. And 280 of those are at steakhouses. Oh, my gosh. Okay. You know, I like to eat out, too, just FYI. Next time you guys are, you know, getting tired of the conversation, you need to liven it up with maybe a third wheel or another guest. 
No, that is good because we've been friends for a long time. And like you, uh, yeah, you you're running out of things of to talk about. Yeah. Inject a little Seth. I mean, here's the thing. I should say congratulations to Chuck, who became a grandfather. Oh, that is wonderful. Congrats to Chuck. Yeah. So new news, his, his lovely daughter, Annie, uh, producing the next generation of the Warren family. And congratulations to her and her husband, John Riches, who, of course, you know from the Goldwater Institute. Yeah. Congratulations. Oh, yeah. They're involved. great people. Wonderful. Well, yes, congratulations um, to them. Um, okay, let's move on to uh, a few other uh, issues that we were flagged and kind of intrigued by. Talk to me about this National Review piece. You don't often send me magazine articles. This one, this one moved you. It did, and, and so we are going to have the author of this piece, Alexander Rakin, on Breaking Battlegrounds this Saturday. Oh, so be sure, folks, to tune in at 3 p.m. because he can tell you a lot more about this issue than I have. He's been covering this uh, for a few years now very closely, and he has the cover story this week in National Review about Canada's assisted suicide program, which they call MADE. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is just, it is demonic, Seth. Mm-hmm. I mean, the stuff that they're doing it's hard for me to even comprehend uh, that that a government would do this. But for one thing, people are calling into Canada's suicide prevention yep. hotline, yep. right? Yep. They're calling up saying, I need someone to help talk me out of killing myself. Yep. Yep. And they're being offered euthanasia. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They're being offered assisted suicide. Even failed suicide attempts are completed by yeah. Canadian doctors to help make it so, even when it failed, right? Yeah, another case that he points to in here, and, and this one this one almost had me throwing up, is a patient was literally fighting the doctor who was about to administer this, saying no and flailing their arms and trying desperately to stop them. And the doctor administered a dose of uh, an opioid yeah. To them without their consent yeah. to calm them down so they could complete the procedure. Yeah, yeah, right. Right. I mean, this is how it goes. This is what these things ultimately devolve into. Everyone starts with the idea that this is perhaps compassionate at some level, at some odd, perverted level of morality. That's at least the defensive word they use, compassionate. And then it ends up being non volitional. Happens every single time. You've seen it in Belgium, you've seen it in the Netherlands, and now you're seeing it in Canada. And Australia. And, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. They, and France is about to pass a bill to allow this. 11 U.S. states have allowed this now. And, you know, I mean, look, Canada is the worst of them. Mm-hmm. They are by far the worst. But where they are is where everyone else is going. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, so there was a case in Canada yeah. of a person who was killed due to hearing loss yeah yeah you know i mean you have other people who are being killed due to credit card debt yeah yeah you know i mean this in autism you know they are now carrying out a eugenicist eugenics based anti disability program by killing them off Mm -hmm. that's what they're doing there's so much of this that just that makes me want to, you know, A, go crazy, but B, just throw up. Yeah, including the term 
euthanasia itself. Uh, if, if people who are a little bit familiar with you know the show know that I love etymologies and word etymologies, it's 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 such a perversion of the word. Uh, euthanasia means uh, from 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 the word you. It means good or easy, an easy or good death, and it's anything but that. And it's 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 the kind of thing we started. I don't know if people are old enough to remember the Karen Ann Quinlan case out of New Jersey in the 1970s ends up with situations like Terry Schiavo, where it's completely unknowable what this woman's idea or concept or deciding factors were going to be. And uh, it takes away the uh, it's it's a gruesome business, Sam. It's a gruesome business. It's it's incredibly gruesome and it's just completely wrong. And. To me, this is the death knell of actual medicine. Yeah, well, that's right. Your uh, author, what's the author's name from National Review that you're having? Alexander Rakin. What was it? Alexander Rakin? Rakin, yeah. Rakin, who will be a guest on Breaking Battlegrounds, writes a great point. It's a he, right? He writes. He, yeah. Yeah, he he has a great sentence. It's powerful. The first rule of medicine is to do no harm. The second rule in countries that have legalized death care is that the first rule doesn't matter anymore. Yeah, and and this becomes especially with socialized medicine, which is still yeah. obviously a huge push in this country. Right. Uh, this simply becomes a cost containment measure for the government, who views it, um, you know, the the very classic line where it, 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 any one death is a tragedy, but a, a thousand or a million is a statistic. Yep. And Canada is clearly looking at this from a purely statistical perspective, and just reducing their cost on bearing these citizens. And a lot of this to me goes back to the fundamentals. Um, and you and I've talked about this before, but the eugenics movement, which was rightfully called out for being a hateful, racist, awful yep. uh, set of ideas. Yes, of course. Morphed into two movements. It morphed into the environmental movement and yep. it morphed into the abortion movement. Yep. And uh, this is another extension of that, of the worst ideas in history and if anything deserves to be put down, it is the concept that killing people is care. Yeah, that's exactly right. And the odd irony of all this is that with all the problems we have with Mexico, I'll take a break and we'll come back on this. Um, with all the laws, with all the problems we have with Mexico, uh, who would have thought at the end of the day that Mexico's morality on these kinds of life and death issues was much greater than the country to the north with which we seem to have much more in common. Heaven forbid we have that, this much in common with Canada. Let's come back on that point when we do come back. Sam Stone is my guest, and we'll be right back. Back to the Seth Liebson Show. Sam Stone is my guest. He is the host of Breaking Battlegrounds, heard every Saturday afternoon at uh, 3 p.m. right here on this station. He's uh, also a, a political consultant in town. You can follow him on Twitter at Sam the Paul P-O-L. Just talking about uh, before the break, Sam, when you think about the abortion laws, you think about the uh, the uh, end of life and uh, and uh, what you might call uh, legalized and induced suicide laws that take place now in Canada. I can't bring myself to calling them uh, euthanasia because there's nothing good or decent about it, which is what euthanasia really means at its base. Uh, you know, with all the problems we have with Mexico, they are a much more moral country, at least in law and code, than a place that sounds, speaks, and 
for whatever it's worth, looks a lot more like us in our nor- into the north in Canada. And that it's it's an odd thing. One has a religious infusion. One is totally divorced and and um, and and has removed religion from the entire public sphere. Canada has become an oddly tyrannical country. It, 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 well, it's a totally tyrannical country at this point. I mean, Justin Trudeau has has shown that he is absolutely Castro's child, whether that's true biologically or not. Um, but at the end of the day, I, I think you hit on it. Religion's a huge part of it. Mexico is still heavily Catholic, yeah, yeah. Uh, much more so than most countries. Mm-hmm. I think there's another element, too. Uh, and this goes back to a discussion I was actually having earlier today with, with Chuck, my co-host on Breaking Battlegrounds, is that, I, you know, he said, well, it's it's really crazy because it seems like the leftists here in North America are even more radical than the European leftists. Yes, correct. And, 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 and I said, you know, I don't think that's actually true, but what I think it is is that because those systems have a parliamentary system, mm-hmm. the radical 20% on the left that is driving this agenda mm-hmm. is marginalized, uh-huh. whereas here... Um, they're really setting the the platform, creating the policy for the Democrat Party, and there's this never-ending rush to make sure no one can get to the left of you um, on the Democrat side. And, you know, so you see people who, like Kamala Harris, yeah, right? Yeah. I mean, her embrace of BLM yeah. was the most disingenuous garbage on the planet. Yeah. You're, you're talking about someone who was, as a prosecutor was known for their callousness. Correct. You know. Right. Um, yes, no, of course. Well, that that kind of gets to my, this is a short segment, and I'd love to keep you one more long one because this is a big issue for me. This kind of gets to something I was saying in the first hour in my monologue, that in the 60s and 70s, the difference between the radical Marxists in this country and the Democratic Party was everything the Democratic Party could do to distance themselves from it. Your Hubert Humphreys, your, I don't know, Edmund Muskies, um, your, you know, your John Kennedys, your Lyndon Johnsons, your even your George McGovern. They wanted nothing to do with people like the Black Panthers or the Weather Underground. Today, that ideology suffuses the up and down, the in and out, the east and west and the north and south of the Democratic Party. There is no distinction between the radical elements and the Marxist elements on the streets in America and the very Democratic Party itself. That is a huge change. And I wonder, A, if you agree, and B, if we can talk about it on the other side of this break. I do, and we can. Wonderful. Sam Stone is, <laughs> that's a great answer. Asked and answered. Sam Stone is my guest, and will be, I have more time. I'm cutting Sam off prematurely. I, sorry about that, Sam. My <laughs> clock was off. You have two minutes to respond. <laughs> okay. Well, um, you know, no, I think that's a really good point. I mean, you know, the the biggest extremists, it's funny, it, it's insulting to me when Republicans who are really just fighting to maintain uh, traditional Judeo-Christian values are called extremists yeah. and radicals. Right. And here on the other side, we have people who are, want to entirely throw out uh, our system of government and all of those values, and they're somehow the defenders of democracy and freedom um, at the same time that they're suppressing speech and they're murdering people left and right. Yeah. Um, you know, I just say uh, it, it's, it's really disgusting that that narrative has been allowed to spread through all the corporate media. But at the end of the day, you know, you're, you're exactly right on. 
at one time, if you were a member of the Weather Underground or you were a member of the Black Panthers, that was disqualifying yeah. from any sort yeah. of uh, high position. That's a great point. It. That's a great point. Parents would advise their children in the 60s and 70s not to join those groups, lest it harm their career later in life. Who knew it could be yeah. the entree and gateway to electing a president in 2008 from the Democratic Party? Now I have a commercial break. We'll resume this in more depth when we come right back. Sam Stone is my guest, and he and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Sam Stone is my guest. Uh, Sam, you have a different producer than I. Does your producer come in with rogue music and try and convince you that it's a good song? <laughs> no, no, but, but see, we're totally boring, and we use exactly the same clip on every intro and exit. So, <laughs> like, we're, we're clearly not selling the, the musical programming on our show. Okay. Got to be ready for, like, Two dudes sitting there talking uh, politics. I, I'm trying and, to bring AM rock back as a as a as a form of radio, but David <laughs> Dahl gets in my way sometimes with aberrations like that. Speaking you know of what the, the great yeah, thing, yeah, about ahead. AM rock was it, it was great was when you're driving across the country. Yeah, yeah, you could actually listen to yeah. the whole song. Yes, yes, and a lot of other songs. Yes, before you ran out of range. Yes, it was great. It was hence we're trying to bring it back. All right, so. Um, this is kind of an interesting point to me. I think it's a perennial one because people will sometimes talk about how it was the divisions in this country were worse in the 60s than they are today because maybe some of the violence was, in fact, worse uh, as, as a I, numerical I matter. I question whether yeah. it really is. Yeah, and I, I mean, question that, too. Yeah, that's a great point. I question it, too. But you didn't have Democrats denouncing the police. You didn't have Democrats embracing socialism. Let me put it this way to you, Sam. There's no way to actually test this, but I know I'm right. When Joe McCarthy was popularly and unpopularly denouncing communism in America and communism in the United States government, um, I'm going to tell you right now, I think there are more communists in America today than there were then, and they're not afraid today. They're proud of it. There are more socialists in elected office today in America than at any time in America's history, Uh, and, and they're proud of it. It is an odd thing. They affiliate with the Democratic Party. The Democratic Party is the socialist movement in America, and that would have never been the case in the 60s and 70s. It was not the case at all, and it certainly is the case now. I mean, it's hard to get elected in a blue district at this point. You can't get out of a primary if you're not a Marxist right. and a pretty radical Marxist. Yeah. You know, the, the fact is that now you've got people who are the equivalent of the Weather Underground, yep who have committed real crimes against this country who are running for and winning offices. That's right. Um, You know, and it it is absolutely telling uh, that that no Democrats in the middle and the media do not stand up to this at all. Put it this way. Angela Davis used to be on the top 10 most wanted list of the FBI for being responsible for the deaths of four people, including a, a, a state judge in California. Now she has paid money by places like ASU to speak there. That's the difference. Right. That's the difference. It's, a, it's huge. And by the way, if I can laugh at something that came out in the news this sure, week, sure. Uh, the least surprising news of the last month was that Ibram X. Kendi is a giant crook. I saw that. You're right. That's right. At Boston University, they are now investigating yeah. all kinds of claims of financial and other abuse, including, I think, physical, if I'm not mistaken, yeah, as well physical. as lack of producing any research whatsoever. 
and spending $30 million in two years yeah. without any sort of output. And I will tell you right now, I would be shocked to my bones if half of that money hadn't been pocketed by it, by Kendi and his friends. Oh, I mean, he, 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 he is a money-making machine. And, uh, you know, he is what you would call a huckster. And he is what your friend and mine, I think, it's fair to say, Larry Elder, we're both friends with Larry. He yes. talks about uh, the racism in this country is a situation where the demand exceeds the supply. And Abraham Kendi is someone who has created that demand for it so that he can supply himself for paid to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely correct. And and he is simply continuing the glorious tradition of all BLM affiliated leaders. Yeah. In in essentially being nothing more than grifters. That's right. And you know, Marxist, he says you cannot be an anti I mean, this is suffused with Marxism. It's so weird these guys, these Marxists that make so much money like Patrice Kalours of the Black Lives Matter movement. Bernie Sanders. Or, yeah. Uh, yes. Bernie Sanders. Or for the matter of Ibrahim Kendi, it reminds you of, you know, Leonard Brezhnev with his Mercedes and his Dachas and his Cadillacs. I mean, it's a very odd thing. The revolution really does pay off, I guess, huh? It did. And, you know, the mistake of, of you know, the, the McCarthy Commission, all that, they were targeting uh, communist, socialist and government. Yeah. And they forgot the ones in the university. That's right. That's right. What a weird and what a weird over. epitaph to the fall of the Berlin Wall. You and I were well aware of that taking place in 1989 that we thought not all of us because we didn't neglect China. We didn't neglect Cuba and we didn't neglect our universities. But when much of many of us were celebrating the fall of the Berlin Wall, it's an odd thing. In America, communism is more popular now than it was then as well. Yeah. Yeah, by a lot, by quite a frankly. Lot. And one of the things about that, so the, the number one taught book in schools of economics oh. today, yeah. university economics departments, the number one taught book is is Marx. Yeah. Wow. He's the number one author. Wow. Wow. Now, every honest economist on the right and the left has totally debunked everything in Marx's economic works. Wow. That it just doesn't work at all. It's totally non-functional. It's a, a complete fantasy. And yet here we are, and the economics schools at our universities in this country are teaching this as if it's real. And uh, and and we have uh, and we have uh, uh, children's magazines like Teen Vogue. We have uh, newspapers like the New York Times that are promoting this. And surprise, surprise, uh, you are finding every year the Victims of Communism Memorial Organization does the polling every year. More and more young adults find Marxism more and more attractive over and against capitalism and free enterprise. Uh, this is this is this is a real battle. It, people look back at the '60s and think that they were paranoid in the '60s. People like Barry Goldwater, they weren't paranoid; they were predictive. Well, Republicans look at our uh, schools and, and the disaster that has been made of our public schools. The fact that they're in, uh, incapable of educating the majority of students, and they see a giant problem. I truly believe the left looks at that. And sees a a benefit. Yeah, and it, you know that is a plus for sure. them. Sure. Because the more illiterate economically, the more uneducated people are, the more the siren song of Marx sounds Absolutely. in their ears. Absolutely. C.S. Lewis put it in The Abolition of Man that to miseducate a youth is to leave an adult more susceptible to propaganda, and that's what we're seeing. 
Sam, mm-hmm. I promised a, a, another friend, a mutual friend of ours, that I would run this by you because it's fascinatingly interesting and, I think, dangerous. Also, I hope not predictive, but i got to take a commercial break. There's this interesting uh, chart that uh, came out from Powerline. I think Scott Johnson did it where he was showing the decline in the ratio of police officers to residents over the last several years. And I wonder if on our short segment in the next segment, you might answer or help us understand, and maybe it's related to this discussion, why that has declined in Phoenix as well. Could we do that real quick on the other side of this break? We certainly can. Thank you, brother. Sam Stone is my guest. And why has Phoenix reduced its ratio of police officers to residents uh, by uh, nearly two, uh, nearly two points, nearly two points between 2019 and 2022. Sam will have an answer for us when we come right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Sam Stone has been my guest this hour. Uh, Sam knows a lot about city politics and uh, he knows a lot about policing. Uh, so, uh, Sam, in, in a lot of cities, uh, there has been major and massive declines of the ratio between police officers and residents over the last three years. Washington, D.C. leads the list by about 5.1 uh, in, in declination. Chicago, 4.4. Baltimore, 4.1. New York, 4.1. All the cities we read about with massive crime problems. But Phoenix ain't that much of a hero here at 1.6. Why, why, why are we lowering the ratio of police officers to residents in Phoenix, Arizona, by lowering, I guess I should actually say raising, you know, why is, why is there, why are there fewer police per population here? Did I lose them? Yep. Sorry. There we go. Sorry, Sam, you got the question. I'm sorry. I hit the oh, wrong button. I, I did get the question. No worries. Uh, so this actually ties to three different things. Um, number one, and this was a one-time event, but, but it speaks to poor management, quite frankly. When the city hit the 2008-2009 downturn, they were put in such an enormous budget hole that they froze all hiring across the city uh, for years. So we went years without even trying to hire a single police officer, and that that toll that this has taken has been significant. So that's one. That started us down the trend. Two uh, is the the broader societal problem that same one the military is having, where there is a smaller and smaller portion of the population that can meet the qualifications that you can draw from who one are fit enough to do it and two are not drug users uh-huh. including uh-huh. marijuana uh-huh. so if phoenix police department you can have used marijuana i think the standard uh, at least when i left salusitia's office i think the standard was that you could have have used it up to three times in your life okay um, but not if you're a regular user. Yeah. And we have huge percentages of our young people now who are regularly using pot and other drugs. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then you know, a huge additional percentage that are not fit enough to, to pass the entry requirements. And then third came this movement, the Ferguson effect yeah. backed yeah. up by BLM and all these things. So you've created this perfect storm that is just decimating police departments across the country, including Phoenix. They can't recruit the people they need. They losing officers because they're retiring out. 
and we just have nobody who's who's there to replace them. Yeah. Boy, you know, we need to have a campaign. We really need to have a new campaign for good men, you know, good young men. Who thought that that would be the necessity for a city like Phoenix? I get what Chicago has done to themselves. I don't know if they can ever come out of it. I get what San Francisco, Seattle, and Portland has done. I don't know if they can ever come out of it. Seems like we're on the precipice of being able to stop it in its tracks. And maybe we'll pick up on that theme next week when we talk, Sam, because I am out of time as I head into the end of the hour here with you. But thank you so much for being with us today sam stone i love the range we cover Uh, always always a blast seth stay stay tough man we we got a long road in front of us we have a long road in front of us and we're not going to go down without a fight hopefully we'll go up with a fight sam stone has been my guest folks thanks for being with us today until tomorrow god bless you all for david Dahl and mr bill and terry i'm seth leibson and class is dismissed Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for donald trump to hire i find out the worst enemy that i'm going to face in my life is right here in america they took my assessment and they wanted me to change it i was like i'm not changing it they had to get rid of flint with in-depth interviews archival footage and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines i just felt like i was drowning flynn deliver the truth whatever the cost available now watch it today go to salemnow.com salemnow.com